Welcome, everybody, in. Welcome to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world. You're part of it wherever you are. Shalom, and welcome to the Land of Israel Network, our beloved network here. And for me, the fourth network I'm involved in here in the Land of Israel. been broadcasting for 15 years in various media, but that goes to teach you one thing. Keep broadcasting. Keep broadcasting. Whatever you're doing, start doing it. If you're, if you're teaching people, you're connecting to people at the job place, you're, you're giving them that, that strength or in shul or to your kids, just keep it up. Keep broadcasting. And this reminds me of the famous dictum that my uh, friend Jeremy Sultan once said to me about Israeli politics. He said, you got to hold on to the wheel. Just hold on to the wheel. And when they cut off your hands, grab it with your teeth. All right? <laughs> Rabbi Mike Foyer is the man laughing right there. Shalom, Rabbi Mike. Welcome to the program. <laughs> Shalom, Michelle. I'm going to take that image home with me. Yeah, yeah. No, he's like, when they cut off your hands, just take grab it. And, and he teeth. made that. He lunged with his <laughs> yeah. neck head forward. And he's like, grab it with your teeth. It's so true. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's, that's, that's yeah, there was something like. There's something very true about that. Right. You're like, wow. Um, yes. Uh Welcome to uh, Beit Midrash Sulam Yaakov. I love coming here. It's great to be here. I love I love both the poles. It's like different poles. The polarity of Beit Midrash Sulam Yaakov, which is this like Sephardic synagogue, and and uh, like the the folks who learn here are like hippy dippy types. And then we go to uh, Pardes. Pardes, which is this kind of academic. It's like uh, a little bit of a college campus. In, very very college in, campus. In right. It's like. A, it's a totally different Welcome vibe. Welcome to my, my inner polarity. I love it. I love the inner polarity, and I appreciate that, and, and it's fun to share that with people. Um, I, I, we have a great show uh, today. Uh, we're going to talk with Rabbi Mike. Afterwards, I hope that we're going to be speaking with Eli Piepsch from the Council of Judea and Samaria about recent events and upcoming events as well. Uh, uh, let's start with a few things before we get to the Torah portion. First thing I just want to say, Rabbi Mike, I'll be leaving February 4th, Saturday night. I'll be going to San Fr- uh, to Los Angeles, San Diego, Phoenix to see my good friends in Phoenix. Many of my friends in Phoenix who are regular listeners, listeners to the show, my buddy Pinchas, uh, my buddy uh, Arthur, our buddy Arthur. Got to say hello for me. Right, and our buddy Jake. Yes, Jake Bennett listens to our show. All these, all these uh, great folks. Oh, and of course, uh, Dr. Brodsky. We got a lot of friends out there, uh, Rabbi Mike. So I'm gonna be go. I'm gonna drive. I'm gonna drive. I'm gonna drive from L.A. to Phoenix. Oh, awesome! I'm excited. I'm go so to the Hoover Dam. I'm gonna go to the Hoover Dam. Have you ever been? I've never been. It's quite amazing. I'm psyched for that. That's we'll so, talk about it later. That's so. That's so cool. I'm really excited. And then I'm gonna drive to Vegas. Woohoo! I've never been to Vegas. Well, you know what happens in Vegas stays, stays in Vegas. Vegas. And I, I'll tell you, I'm 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 excited. I've been twice and never dropped a slot in the machine. Okay. I went there to climb the very large sandstone walls that are just outside of Vegas. Okay. Fifteen hundred feet of pure glory. I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. Uh, and I say I heard also that you could shoot a lot of automatic weapons. See, it doesn't always I, have to I be. Was, I wasn't th- looking for that. No. Okay, but it doesn't <laughs> have to be all the bad stuff. Not, you it's can, not all about gambling. You can right, shoot gambling things. or other <laughs> things. You could shoot things like the other vices. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? There's other vices there. I hear there's a great Israeli pizza place there, Kosher. Why doesn't that surprise me? And you know who I'm going to be with there? You know who I'm rooming with? Uh, Zev Ornstein. Our buddy Z. I just put it together now that yeah. I know that he's going. I'm excited. He's going to be speaking at the RJC conference. I'm really excited about that. And um, it's going to be a great gig. And I'm just excited to go out there. Then I'm going to fly to New York, see our buddy Jack oh, uh, okay. and, and other folks in uh, New York City for about for about like 12 hours, maybe 24 hours I'll be in New York City. and then uh, Better you than me. And that you're right, and then and then back to Eretz Yisrael. So I'm excited. If you folks want to connect with me in either L.A., San Diego, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Phoenix, Vegas, or NYC, 
Uh, so reach out to me, write me an email, Yisha at thelandofisrael.com. I'm tired just thinking about it. Is that fun? It sounds like a fun trip. I'm we have different ideas the, of fun. I'm excited about the driving. I, I love yeah, the driving I'm out west is out, uh, out west. I'm excited about thing, that. It's yeah. gonna be cool. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for the you know, the god of the uh, southwestern desert there to connect with. It's the only one god. Yeah, but God's you know face in the southwest. You know what which I'm talking I, about. Actually, oh, little, I know. Trust me, I know. I know how God appears in the w- desert of the southwest. Right. Quite, quite well. Yes. Yeah. You know. You see. I spent a lot the, of time down there. That's what I'm talking about. You know, know what I'm talking I about. Know exactly what you're talking okay, about. Okay. Okay. That's it. Um, that's it. Uh, um, that's one thing I wanted to say. Next thing I wanted to say to you is that um, I read an article which just absolutely blew my mind, and I, I needed to read part of it for you. Okay, I'm ready. I was wondering why your brains were dripping out your ears when you came in. Yeah. A Rust Belt synagogue runs out of people and gathers to bury its past. Good title. Congregants, this is JTA. Congregants from Temple Hadar, Israel, in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, gathering at a, the, there's a picture of them. Here it is, Rabbi Mike. They're at a snowy, right, yeah, snowy sure. tomb. A large snowy tomb full of cardboard boxes. Cardboard boxes. Presumably with all the, it's like the Geniza, all the... the stuff. The stuff the, of the synagogue, yeah. of the temple, excuse me. Yeah. You know, this includes the plaques that they didn't know what to do with. Plaques of people who gave money or passed away. Oh, really? Yeah, they didn't want to just chuck them. That's they didn't want to chuck them. The Torahs, the Sefer Torahs, were given to other Somewhere congregations. Else, sure. sure. But all the, all the, the books, all the... Yeah, wow. I, I want to read to you this, this, uh, the, a, few, a few paragraphs here. It was a frigid 10 degrees on Sunday, the last day of 2017, but some 20 people gathered at Congregation Tiferet Israel's ceremony in this city of 22,000 on the Ohio border. A blue tent and folding chairs had been set up for attendees, and a pit in the ground had been opened. A pit in the ground had been opened. That sounds biblical. No hearse would be arriving at this unusual burial, which was not for a person. Still a few attendees choked up when they greeted each other with hugs and wiped tears from their cheeks. This was a subdued sort of mourning because no friend or relative had been taken from their midst. Nor was the death, quote-unquote, a sudden one. Indeed, the congregation had been preparing for this day for years. Deep below, the hole was lined with cardboard boxes containing yardside plaques, tallit prayer shawls, and other ritual items that ceremony caretakers had carefully lowered uh, in a few days before. The mourners had come to bury, in a sense, their synagogue. Congregation Tiferet Israel was founded nearly 125 years ago. In 1894, synagogue members lived in a busy town with a suddenly booming economy. Linked first to the canal system and later to the railroad, the population of Newcastle swelled at the turn of the 20th century as the town's manufacturing base grew. Tin plate, paper mills, and steel and ceramic factories brought a great deal of prosperity to the region. Ancillary businesses cropped up. Uh, to support the growing population. Many of these drugstores, department stores, furniture stores, groceries were owned by Newcastle's Jewish Jews. residents. That's right. And I'm going to skip down a little bit. Um, but basically what happened was uh, is that there was a synagogue, as you can guess. Oh, as the ceremony changed in the 60s, as the economy changed in the 60s, Newcastle's population dwindled, along with so many other Rust Belt cities. Rust Belt. Ouch. I'm from Cleveland. Uh-huh. So this talks to you? I've been to Newcastle. Okay. I've never been to these places. By 1990, trail. the number had dipped to 28,000. Today, the number stands at 23. Those looking for a more robust Jewish community for their children went elsewhere. Others simply moved away for better economic opportunities. Uh, the guy that they interviewed, his sons moved away. 
I'm finishing up here. Fini faced with shrinking numbers, the town's two Jewish congregations merged in 1997. The newly named Temple Hadar Israel, which is a combination of the two synagogues, operated out of the Tiferet Israel building and remained affiliated with the conservative movement. The, cons the consolidation helped retain some vibrancy still. As the population continued to age and young people became scarce, it became difficult to gather a minion or quorum for Shabbat services. Members began to consider the possibility of winding down synagogue operations. We never ran out of money, but we ran out of people, says Sam Bernstein. And then uh, this organization called the Jewish Community Legacy Project, or JCLP, organization that works with small dwindling congregations to help ensure their legacies. This is a partnership of the Jewish federations, the Reform and Conservative Movements. Anyway, these guys came in, and they work with 50 other such communities. It's a congregational funeral home. Right. Now, I want to... Okay, anyway, you get the gist of the article. I, I get the gist. I got to tell you, I read this article. I was blown away by this. I, I just... Here was, uh, okay, now, you know what? Before I say any other word, I'm trying to make a point here. I'm trying to explain a phenomenon. I'm not trying to uh, gloat or, 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 or in any way, anyway, hurt anybody's feelings in any way. I'm just looking at this, you know, as an objective phenomena. In this article, in JTA, which is there basically, the, you know, the mouthpiece of, of these congregations. Basically, what I saw is in this article, the burial of American Jewry. Right, the barrier, like, and and what I love about this article, by the way, is the classiness, in which these people basically turned off the lights. There's a famous famous phrase here in Israel that was around in the 50s and 60s when there were these existential dangers against sure. Israel. People would say in the six day before the six day war, Isha uh, Chabeto, the last Nahon. person out, turn off the lights, right? At when yeah. they came to the kill all of us, so don't forget to turn off the lights of the state of Israel. Yeah. And what you see here is really a phenomenon which is true about American Jewry per se, which is, I'm not saying they're all disappearing, but, but these communities, and I've seen this around, these communities are closing down their shop. I thought it was very beautiful that they actually took the moment to bury. To honor, to honor the past. Right, to honor the past and to, and to close it with, with, with uh, dignity. The dignity. Yeah. I, I don't ahead. agree with you. Okay, go ahead. I mean, I, I appreciate the dignity, and, and this is definitely a burial. I would say what you're hearing here is is the burial of the old model of Jewish communal life. Right. I mean, I, I happen to be sitting at, at the beating heart of American Jewry when I'm at Pardes. Right. And even though they're here in the land of Israel, most of them do not stay. Right. And and what I see is an entirely new model of Jewish life emerging in America, which I mean, we could do a larger discussion about the fact that this very article points out that the model of communal life there was an industrial model. And in a post-industrial world, it couldn't survive because of the nature of the mobility of people, because of the, the deeper connectivity of Jews to American culture, right, as opposed to the sort of um, more inward-looking communal infrastructure that they were used to. Right? The, the young Jews that left Newcastle or certainly weren't going to move there are in big cities, their their um, lifestyle is a lifestyle which matches the 21st century. And their Judaism is a Judaism that matches the 21st century. It's not gone. Now, it's true that there's a major shift. And I think that the numbers speak for themselves. But I'm, uh, I'm far from ready to bury American Jewry. I think that it's important to make a distinction between the the denominational, congregational model of Jewry, which emerged through the industrialization of America, and what's happening now, which is basically a post-industrial, post-modern certainly post-congregational and post-denominational Judaism. Okay, so, so I, I accept what you're saying, but I will also 
zoom out a little bit and and uh, basically uh, argue that I wasn't necessarily talking about models. I'm talking also about the fact that the galut has no glue. It has no sticking power. It's not, it doesn't stick. And, and I, I used to say uh, American Jewry or all galut Jewry, uh, uh, Jews living outside of the land of Israel, is like frying an egg on a frying pan. They slide around. They slide around. Yeah. You know? It doesn't have any... It, it's, there's a Teflon... And that yeah, Teflon is, and then get what you're saying, which is when things change. So the Teflon slot, you keep sliding, sure. okay? And and uh, and I I've been to I know where you work at Partis. I've been there. Your description of the beating heart of American Jewry, I would say, it's not beating that strong. It's I beating, but it's not beating like like a. It's certainly not what I remember growing up. I remember 30 years ago, maybe even you know. I remember that feeling when I came to America. We're the beating heart of Judaism. New York City is the beating heart of Judaism. Yeah. We have Gedolim. We have Rav Soloveitchik. We have the Lubavitcher Rebbe, etc. But, but, but today it's not like that. Today it's not like that. That's not the beating heart of Jewry. No, 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 no. American, I meant American Jewry. Like, my point was is that there's a new generation that, that is not interested in their parents' model in, in any respect. Forget Judaism, just in, in life in general. And so... Um, I didn't touch on this notion of galut. I think it's very important to, to think about exile. Those of us who have made it here, and not only have made it here to the land of Israel, but really believe that this is where the center of not only um, the Jewish people, but really the world in many respects, at least spiritually speaking. Um, it's still important to remember that galut serves a very important purpose. Right? The Holy Baal Shem Tov, following in the footsteps of all the Kabbalists, really pushed the no- notion that galut mechaper al ko'avonot, that exile really brings us atonement for our sins. And so one of the things I actually worry about in our rooted national existence here is that we've forgotten often about that process um, that got us here, that it took 2,000 years of inner work to merit coming back here, and that it's important that we maintain a relationship to that rootlessness in order to always be able to step out of the sort of beitiut, the sort of at-homeness that is so precious here, and make sure we, that we merit it and that we're actually who we need to be where we are. Yes, and I did. I did see uh, recently a quote from one of the generals of the, the basically the whole the whole defense establishment, and he said, and and you know they they've recently just blown up like three of these Hamas tunnels, yeah. big ones. Yeah, we're talking yeah, we're talking highways. Yeah, here. multiple kilometer to places. Right, things and things that you can drive cars through. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. They're they're quite significant. They're not. And it turns rivals. out, it, and it has not been made public, but let's put it this way: it's one of these things in Israel where it's one of these open secrets or wink, wink. Where it's like they've got developed some technology to strike at these things. Yeah, they have. They have identified this. Yeah. What is it? Nobody, Nobody knows. knows. Right. But it's pretty clear, and the defense establishment has basically winked, saying. Uh, there, there is some kind of innovation now. Yeah, not only that, but they're doing it very gradually in order so that it's like a decision-making process. Right. Here. We do it all at once. You bring them to their knees, it's going to be war. But we're right. just going to make yeah, it clear do- to you, like, the next one, we got, it'll we, come it, soon. And, and it's, like, it's like, are you going to dig that tunnel? Because it's going to fall on your head. Yeah. But the quote was, Israeli ingenuity and the Jewish mind has yet again. And I thought to myself, Aish. Why do you have to say it that way? Why do you have to say it that way? Say it with a little bit more anava. Say, say, say Baruch Hashem. You know, Hashem has, has, has given us the mind. I, I hate, I don't know why, I always chafe at the, I chafe at the Jewish mind superiority language. It just bothers me. Yeah. I find it to be 
counterproductive in every way. Listen, there's a there's a healthy dose of racism in there. Racism? There's, it's yeah. haughtiness which bothers but, well, me. Well, but the two go together. It, it's not racism. It's humanism. You think you're so smart. So God listen, channels knowledge yes, because you. you're a religious personality, but, but yeah. I, I do believe Sorry. that... That that there is a healthy dose of racism, but yes, the arrogance, arrogance. the arrogance in there, the hubris, even hubris. You know the you know? French when they get upset, they're like arrogant. You're yeah. arrogant. You know, yeah. I don't like arrogance. I don't. I don't need it. Also, I don't need it. Don't. I, I just. I don't even see the advantage in it. Don't. I don't see it. Say Baruch Hashem, we've come up with some good stuff. You know, just yeah. yeah I hate. I hate that kind of. It, it it really causes you to be an outsider in so many ways. So I agree with. So I'm I'm linking that to what you said, which is like remember. The harshness of where you came from, and then and the, and the travails, which I, fits the parsha quite well. Right, we're going to get to it right now. But I could I could say it exactly the opposite. Pumfakert, I could say it exactly the opposite, which is we're too galuti. We we don't understand what it is means to be in this land, rooted in this land, coming home. For example, this American Jewry question that I'm that I'm that I'm that I'm speaking of here through this article is is like I don't think that Jewish people have realized the boom. The awesomeness, the magnitude, the centrality of this this time at the land of Israel being to the to to the, the ingathering of the exiles and the centrality mm-hmm. of building up a Jewish state, like 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 they're busy burying their books, we're busy building a Jewish state, you know, and and you kind of be you're kind of like hello, jump on board, people, yeah, let's go. This is the trains. This is the last one. Come on, Bury let's the past, go. Step into the future, right? Like, they yeah. you know, right. like 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 come come on board, and you're. Totally sentient, smart, oftentimes wealthy. You're you're like you got everything. Go- you're living in America, a very mentally developed place. You're not in Egypt. You're not a slave. Far from it. Just get on the El Al airplane. It'll bring you right in, right? Right. But as you and I both know, that that that's easier said than done for a lot of people. Um, and but my my point was primarily, uh, I hear a lot of my peers. And pundits who are very quick to bury American Jewry. Right. I think it's a mistake. Right. I, I agree. By the way, I agree with you. But when people ask me, what is the future of American Jewry? I have two word answer. French Jewry. That's my answer. The future of American Jewry is French Jewry. Meaning to say, it's like that French Jewry was a massive Jewry, very powerful Jewry. Now it's, it's there. There's still 400,000 people there. Right. They just don't matter that much in terms. They matter individually, sure, but they don't matter in terms of the in terms of the cultural force. And right. I understand they're just out. Yeah, they're the, in Russian we say at Stalin. It's like you're yeah you're, you're on the margin. You're, yeah, you're not you're marginalized. That's it. You're not yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, so that's that's what I think. So you are listening to the Shai Fleischer Show. Rabbi Mike Foyer uh, joins me today. Rabbi Mike, great to have you with us. Always a pleasure. And uh, we got the Torah portion called Bo. Yo. Yo, Bo. You know, you Bo know Diddley. Bo. There's a lot of stuff going on here in Bo. And um, uh, basically, we're going to get the rest of the plagues. Last big three. Right. The big the, the big plagues, and they're harsh. Uh, and I wanted to show, this is the other kind of segment that I wanted to go jump into with you today, is that um, I found a wonderful little list in the Chabad Chumash. Do you know the Chabad Chumash? I've seen it's it, like sure. a rust-colored rubber yeah, coat. Absolutely, thing. yeah. So they have, the ten, th- they have ten miracles, and they explain what the major thing of it is. Check this out. It's very short. I love this list. I took a picture of it on my cam scanner. Not a plug. Um, <laughs> Aaron, Aaron's staff swallows the staffs of the Egyptian sorcerers. What's the effect? Pharaoh is given the message that God's rulership is mightier than, mightier than his own. God rules. God rules. The Nile turns into blood. What is that? 
And this we forget this sometimes. The deity of Egypt, the Nile, is afflicted in its entirety. Yep. Okay. Infestation of the frogs. I mean, really, what is the frog about? The deity of Egypt, the Nile, is a source of havoc for the whole of Egypt. Your very thing that you love so much. Causing you grief. Lice infestation. <laughs> no explanation necessary for right, anyone just, who has just kids in the Israeli school system. Yeah, just <laughs> ouch, right? Egyptian sorcerers are unable to duplicate the miracle. Yeah. They confess that it's the finger of God. There's a, there's a, there's a process here. Yeah, absolutely. A mixture of wild animals, snakes and scorpions. My is, personal favorite. Yeah, is incited upon Egypt. Egypt is thrown into unprecedented havoc. The whole thing goes, goes haywire. Death of the cattle through disease. The cattle of those Egyptians who fear God is spared. Okay, here's a new change. It's like now if you've come to the consciousness. Spare cattle. That's right. You're going you're gonna to start to, to um, you know. Fall on the right the side of the divide. Right. Well said. Humans and animals infested with boils. I like that one. Uh, Egyptian sorcerers are utterly humiliated and are ashamed to appear before Pharaoh. Yeah, I'd be ashamed. Uh, hail kills humans and animals. God's precision is demonstrated. A sniper hail. Right. <laughs> In the exact time that the plague begins. Locusts swarm Egypt, destroying vegetation. Pharaoh's heart is hardened, despite his wish to concede, thus making a mockery. Uh-huh. A of mockery. Own, of his own will. It's a mockery of Egypt. Egypt is thrown into darkness. This in this week's Torah portion. Jewish people are, are able to extract the treasures of Egypt. Like, okay. <laughs> what, do you have a problem with that? No, I'm just wondering what the like was. <laughs> I, 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 my fa- <laughs> I was laughing on the Shabbat. This is every anti-Semite that hears this, me say the following thing is going to have like arsenal for the rest of his life. Okay? Well, they got it anyway. I, 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 I laughed heartily when they said that all the Egyptian water turned to blood Except for the ones, except for the ones that came up to the Jews, they would like try to take water from the Jews because the Jews had good water. Right. But every time they took it, it would turn into blood. Blood until they, they paid even, up. They even tr- they even tried to drink from the same cup at the same time. Right. Turn the blood in their mouth. M- blood in their mouth until they paid up. When they paid up, then it turned to water. <laughs> the Jews cornered the market. <laughs> they cornered the market on water. <laughs> I'm sorry, <clears throat> that's just funny. <laughs> that's one. That's one thing that it is. I don't know why. I just it just like fits every anti-Semitic stereotype kind of, and it just I don't know. I have a dark humor. I don't know. It's, you know, sue me. Um, <laughs> so so Egypt is thrown into darkness. Jewish people are able to extract the treasures of Egypt. Folks, don't forget this is really. Come on, say the liberal line. This is you know this is repayment for for two hundred reparations. 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 Two hundred ten years of enslavement. It's not it's not for not that we have all these Mercedes Benz taxis around Whoa. in our country, right? Death, that's, uh, that's a fact. Yeah. Death of the firstborn Egyptians, Jewish people are sent out from Egypt. So that's the list. Yes. What do you think? What do I think? Progression? Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the this is not their chidush. It's not their innovation. No, I mean, no, they just put it together. They're, they're, they're following in the footsteps of the sages who point out that, that this is what we call milchama, that, that the way in which God goes about deconstructing Egypt is in the same way in which you would take apart a nation in war. And, and one of the goals here is that um, that this is a lesson which is learned forever. That Egypt, as you see them now, will never be seen again. Right. And, and, and the reality is, whatever a person thinks about the historicity of this story, it's certainly probably the best known story in Western history. Right. You know, so the, 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 the fact that there's a reference point in the, in the core of Western culture to what God did to Egypt as a definition of how God interacts with the world is, a, is it's foundational to the way we know our history. 
Great. I'm so y- you really you really are leading into the next segment that we're going to get to in a second, and that segment is the commandments. Yes. That are really gl- big. Num- they're not. Gl- I was going to say glorified. I didn't mean that. Large mnemonics. Mm-hmm. The matzah. Yes. The Pascalam. Uh, Pascalam, right? The 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 tefillin. Yes. These are all plugins to this story. Yes. Making it, we got to relive this tale. How do you embody the Exodus in your life? Right. Bound up with the very experience of it was already the commandment that this will not be a one-time affair. Right. That this is um, th- this is a transformation of the way it is to be a human being in the world. Right. So, th- and the first commandments, and we're good, and and our book is about to take that we've been now uh, 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 learning and teaching Torah together. This year for a book, book and a quarter, right? Sure. But suddenly, and radical turn. It's been a, it's been a narrative book. Yes, stories, stories, tales. Absolutely. Yep. Uh oh, Torah time. Torah time is changing, and and I sometimes here here here's the Jewish Christian dialogue moment where it's like one of the things that some Christians and historically Christians have had a problem with is is uh, legalism. Well, I mean, that was the major break. It wasn't just like some Christians. Right, <laughs> right. Like, it's okay, that's right. C- correction uh, accepted. Uh, I wanted to kind of... Soften it. Soften it a little bit. But you're absolutely right. And here's like the Torah being like, hello, in order for you to read the Bible and to understand its meaning, I'm going to command you these things so that you live it, so that so- you live with the matzah, that you live with the Paschal Lamb, that you live with the Passover, and you do it to remember it, to feel it every single year, to relive it. So I want to double down on that. And I'm going to reverse it and say, hello, the reason I'm bringing you out of Egypt is in order that these things will be done for the rest of time. That if if God had just simply taken Abraham and said, listen, start having kids. You're going to build a nation right here in the land of Israel. And at a certain point, he'd said, by the way, you need to teach them to eat this matzah and, you know, offer this lamb. So, you know, maybe it would happen, maybe it wouldn't a generation or two, right? But the reason that God caused such a revolution was in order that the real desire which he had, which is that there be a relationship to him through commandedness, would be welded into our nationhood from the outset, right? And this, by the way, is the answer to way back. You remember when Abraham said to God, right? How am I going to know that my children will inherit the land? What did God answer him? They're going to go down to, they're going to be slaved in a land not theirs for 400 years, and then they're going to come out with, the, with the great wealth, and they're going to... And the, with great wealth and a particular knowledge. What's that knowledge? What knowledge do we come out with? What's the knowledge that God says is specifically that he needs to teach Paro through this process of breaking the, through him through the plagues? That I'm God. And not just as an abstract, but I'm God in the world. Right? And that's what the commandments are. The commandments are our way of walking in the world and not just knowing that God is, is God, but living God as God of the world. And doing that through the stuff. And through, but my point is, is that it's not that like the stuff comes to remember the historical events. I'm saying that God created the historical context in order that these be the things that we do. That the mitzvot are actually primary. That they're the drivers for the story of the exodus from Egypt and not a tool for remembering it. I see that. I see that. I, 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 you know, it's a We could argue about here. it for a while. No, no, yeah. I don't think it's an argument. Yeah, I think, it's a yin-yang. I, think, I, I hear think, it. Yeah, I, think, I, think, I think both are true. I think both are true, and both inf- inform one another. That's the way to say it, I think. Yeah, one is an embodiment for all time of something which was essentially a, a, a one-time event. Right. And, and, and I actually want to, wanna, wanna for a second, pause on this, on this moment. I do think that religion, 
uh, and I mean that in the kind way, uh, that religion is, an el- there's an element of it which is mnemonic. No, oh, absolutely. A memory tool. There's a memory yes. tool. I'll give one simple example from my work. The word chevron. If I say the word chevron to a totally unaffiliated or uninformed person, he may search his databanks, receive the information that he's gotten recently from the news services, right. and, and, and draw a conclusion. A certain reality emerges in his right. mind. Right. Which is, which is a negative reality. And Largely, a, a, sadly. A violent, negative, sure. a, a, radical, a radical yeah, et cetera, yeah, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, fill in the blanks. But if I say to a Jew, and I, if I say to a Jew uh, who, or, or, or anybody who's a Bible person, Hebron, uh, uh, somebody who's, who's d- steeped in the in story, the, in, the so- in the story and the sources, like Hebron, that's, wow. It's a centerpiece. It's a centerpiece. It's a whole thing. Yep. And I will not allow those things that my eyes behold today to, to completely cloud the, 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 the depth of what this word means and, and what it, On what the contrary, the depth gives you understanding of how the situation today came to be and furthermore gives you at least some insight in how you can bring it toward where you believe it ought to arrive. Right? Meaning the mistake that people make is looking at the situation as it is today, be it in Hebron, be it in Eretz Israel, be it in the world in general. And they say, oh, this is how things are. Like, it's, it's terrible. But the ignorance of someone who's devoted his life to teaching our story of the past, the ignorance of history is not just shocking. It, it, it actually, I find it depressing. Right? And it's a, it almost a, a, a value, I find, amongst a certain age group right now, a younger age group. I don't want to talk about the past. That was the past. Right. Let's talk about what's happening right now. Well, that's, I, I think, I think that, that that value is also a compensation, meaning to say they, they know that they don't know. And they can't play in that in that playground. Yeah, so they, you know what? The reality is, though, what do you call ignorance in the information age? Like, you know, I, I, like I, the Saturday they know they don't know. But, you know, if you want your basic it, it, information it, it, of the uh, past, it is in your phone. It's no, at your fingertips. I, I, I must disagree with you. Uh, it's not easy to acquire. You can, you can get to it. But to acquire it and understand it and analyze it, that takes a, a lifetime of work and reading. And, and you, I can I can read about it, but uh, but but I, I don't know what it really. Yeah, but there's you know. there's a level of basic ignorance that is willful. That's what I mean when I say what do you call ignorance right. in the information age? There's there's been a, a, a willful decision that this is not what matters because decontextualizing is one of the primary that was, tools. That, that was the Paris doctrine, by the way. Paris Shimon Paris many times said. You know, I'm talking about today and the future. You're talking about the past. Yeah. And he used that as a type of mantra to beat down those people that were holding de- on to de- the Decontextualization past. is one of the primary tools of the postmodern power play. If I can strip your context from you and present the present as if it exists alone, then I can orient you toward the future that I believe is correct. Indeed. Right? And, and it is a dangerous tool. I, and here I, it is. I, that's I why we spend so much time y- y- studying our past. It's, it, just, just so the listeners understand, you and I spar with that oh yes in in real in real, in real time in real time right? oh yes it's not like something i i understand oh no I, I yesterday i took a group of of young people who had just gotten two and a half hours of breaking the silence tour in hebron and i had to <coughs> re-enter their minds yeah and patch up what i what i perceive of as horrific lies blood libelous lies in 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 a in a, in a uh, Weltanschauung that was you know that was that was that's right that was implanted in their heads and was feeding on a tashtita uh, 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 infrastructure of the media and the culture a whole that milieu right there yeah. right and I had to get in there and Baruch Hashem I had Siata Deshmaya I had I had real divine help I had divine help and I was able to I think and that was the reports but I think undo some of the damage 
But to really see a, ch- a young person before you who will now go on the pathway of the intellectual conclusions that Breaking the Silence wants to give about Judaism, Israel, Hebron, oh, the, yeah. whole, the whole package, into, how do we say, Ze'ud Mutzal Mi'esh, right? It's like a, it's like a firebrand, yeah. you know. Saved from the, the fire, right? Saved from the fire, and just to, just to be like, oh my God, I just, and I know that, of course, you, that, you do that a lot in, 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 in your educational work. It's very real, that war. That is. war is real, real. And if I don't catch that kid, me or anybody else, where that kid is not, let's put it this way, if that kid is not caught, the, the, the long-term trajectory is a rejection of Israel, a rejection of Jewish values, and really becoming an anti. Yeah, Certainly the, marrying out, et cetera. The, the, and the, the, um, one of the big challenges that we're facing right now, and anybody who's involved in Israel education needs to listen to this, is that the era of the Pollyanna presentation of, of Israel as a perfect Disneyland and the Jews is always right, et cetera, is not only over, but it's doing more damage than good right now. Right. right. We who believe in the project here need to believe in it so deeply that we can look at the warts and bumps and say, yeah, that's called life. That's right. You know, that's I called that, that's called life. And I'll tell you what, bring it on because I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid. Right. And there may be things you point out that I don't love and I'm not proud of, but that's called life. Right. And, and, and reality. It's reality. And, right. and one of the problems is our, our, our students live in a world which is presented them as perfectly smooth. Right. And that's the attraction of that world. That it, like, it makes perfect sense. That, right, that there's m- moral perfectness in e- every situation. Yeah, and, and, and since nobody can claim that, then, then you, it's, you're just so open to the media manipulation. It's, in, it's incredible. It's funny which side is the one that forces upon us perfect... Well, you know, the, the, yeah, the moral relativists, you know, sort of like um, uh, that side. Yeah, listen, the Jews have always made it in the world by, by um, sort of like stumbling forward. We never claim to be perfect. We do often claim to be quite good and to have a divine mission. But the perfection thing, just read the book. Read the book, people. Listen, we're here in, in, in this in, chapter. In part, I don't like that claim to be perfect. In part, I blame us with the whole moral army narrative. Yes, yes. Like, like a, I just a, think we don't have to. There's a deep psychological need after 2,000 years of oppression to have an image of ourselves as untainted. And that also, I think, needs to be honored and given love. We lack the confidence. True confidence yeah. comes when you can look in the mirror and say, gosh, I got a lot of work on. But... I'm a good person. Yeah. I, I, I personally feel that I can say that about Israel. Well, I've been thinking that's why you're so successful at what you do and appreciate. My point was is that is that the danger of these people becoming anti is because they feel they've been lied to. Yes. I have so many students who've said to me, like, I, I don't like this place anymore because I was lied to. And you know what? Mm. They were. Right, right. But right. by by shallow educators who couldn't face the complexity of the reality right. or who themselves had been lied to. You're uh, you, you're saying very deep stuff here, very true stuff, and and really these are tools of the trade yeah. to try to save today, yes, uh, the next generation. Um, I want to get to I want to get to one or two of the actual commandments. Great. Before I do, it is my duty to honor one of my you know who my hero. He comes out. He comes out. My 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 biblical hero, which is Kalev Ben Yifune, right? Cameo. He, he, he makes a cameo here. You, every time. you got to pull it out. I, I, I knew it was coming. It. Yeah, I cannot help it. I cannot help it because it's one of the most ama- – but you're going to love it this time because – because why? Because this is actually – there's a lot of psychology that happens here, and I want you to help us read this out. All right, I'm with you. The phrase says that, that, that it's uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, plagues, <coughs> the, um, after, after the great plague of the – after the great plague of the uh, hail – Right after the great plague of the hail, and there's like fire and ice in these hails. Right, and it's it, it's really it's a hail from hell, really. 
Um, or heaven, as it were. Right. <laughs> Mana from heaven, hail from hell. Um, says, say the, the, the assistants, the, the necromancers and, and the magicians of Egypt, why don't you, why don't we just let these people go, Pharaoh? You know, good idea to let the people go. So he brings back Moshe and Aaron, and he says to them, go, go serve God. Mi v'mi ha'olchim. Who are these people exactly? Mi v'mi. To, to who exactly this, is going? Who exactly is going? Do you have a list? Do you have a nice little list I can, you know, because I like, I like, you know, very exact lists. What are the numbers, right? Do they have little numbers on their arms? Tell me exactly who's going. Mi v'mi ha'olchim. Who and who are the goers? Says the Balaturim. He says like this. I'm going to read this to you. You're going to love it. Amar parole Moshe. Pharaoh says to Moses, Why are you so uh, uh, hot on, on going, leaving here? Do you think that you, Moses, you and Aaron, are going to the land? Do you think you're going to be great leaders? Take it from me. I'm, also, I'm a great leader, I know. You're not. Why? It's only who, who and who are going to enter the land of Israel. Because they're all going to die in the desert. I'm a, I am a great necromancer, uh, magician, sorcerer, type sorcerer guy. I can visualize things in the future. And guess what? You're not going to get the job. You're going to be out of a job. You're all going to die in the desert, including you, Moses, and including you, Aaron, right? It's only, it's only Joshua and Caleb that are going in the land. Right, and he says the gematria of miv halachim. He says kalev uveben nun that the gematria, the the numerological uh, equivalent of of who and who is going is kalev. Who's actually going? Kalev and Joshua, the son of Nun, right, and bin Nun. But Moses answers him. So, so you understand the psychology here? Yeah. He says you're not. It's like what? Like what are you so head up about? <laughs> There's no future for you in this. Right. Not for you personally. Maybe you want to stay here, and I'll give you empower yeah, you. Yeah. So you, you want a future? We could build your future. Yeah. You really want to die in the wilderness? It's, you're not you're not getting anything out of it. Answers him Mos, Moses in the in the verse. It's when he says when 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 Pharaoh says to Miva, who is exactly he's going. So Moses answers him, with our young people and our older people, with our children, with our boys and girls, with our with our sheep and cattle, because it's a holiday for God. It's a it's a celebration for God. So so the Baal term says, what did he say to him? Meaning to say, the the death of the people in the desert is for everybody between the ages of 20 and 60. But the people below 20 will go. The people above 60 will go. The, in other words, the nation's going in. Yes, you hear the depth of it? What he says is that you're threatening me with the present. I'll tell you that, that our past and our future are there. right? Our, our, our old and our young will go. Wow. And you're telling me that, that in today that I might not make it? Moshe is saying to the Pharaoh, you don't understand who we are at all. And I tell this to my kids all the time, and they don't like to hear it. And I say, <laughs> like, no, but it's important to say is that there is a promise. There is a promise. Not to me, not to you, to Am Yisrael. So you need to believe that the promise will be fulfilled. You don't necessarily need to know that you will see it. Right? And, and this is exactly what Moshe answers him. He says, you don't get it. We're not just some sociological collective of people that were born in oppression in your land here and drew together for solidarity. We're an existential entity. This is Am Yisrael. Our past and our future are there. And therefore, that's what will go into the land. Our present is suffering. Moshe says, I'm not worried about that. And it's not about me. Yeah, because it's, it's not about me. Right. It's not about me. Yeah. I may not see it. 
famously Herzl says, you know, on his um, you know close to his deathbed, he's like, forty years from now, uh, there's going to be a Jewish state. Yep. You know, and and he was right to to the year within ten years. Yeah. Right. No, he was right on the on the on, on, on when he when said he die? it. When he said yeah, it, yeah. it was forty years later okay. that, that it happened. Well, then that's, probably that's died famous. in nineteen oh eight. Yeah. <laughs> Do the math. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In any case, absolutely. Um, and I just want to also add that what we just did, this deep discussion that we just had, came from this verse that could easily be... A write-off. A write-off. He says to him, who exactly is who going? Who exactly going? Moving who on. exactly is... Right. Yeah. But, but, but our Torah, is there's so many dimensions to it. The Balaturim is one of the great revealers of a certain kind of dimension. But I love the psychological depth, the looking into the future... You know, there's a political depth here also. Oh, absolutely. You're not going to get anything out of it. And I love what you said. You know, the past and the future is going to get it. You know, and, and of course, Kalev, uh, you know, and, and Yeshua. Uh, and, also, and also the centrality of the land of Israel is all, all this uh, Always, always. And I want to make a plug for, um, for the Hebrew language. If people are wondering, like, how do I come to that type of insight? How do I even know to look in the Balatorium to see if there is? When you look at the verse and you see that word, mi vami. It's a visual signal. Anytime you have the same word together twice in a, in a line, it's a signal saying, no, you need to consider this. It's not just a, a stylistic uh, narrative device. It's also that. But for those who are listening and wondering, like, well, how can I deepen my learning? Always push toward the original text, and it will bring you riches. Yeah, yeah. Hebrew is, is amazing. It is... It is, it is um it is truly a pleasure also to, and also what's also beautiful about Hebrew is that there's something called nivim, which are uh, idioms. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, these idioms come from either the Bible or, or rabbinic literature. Or rabbinic well. literature. And just, you can, you can throw this out. You can say, you yeah. know. Right, right. Any case, uh, it, it, is, it, it is oodles and oodles of, of pleasure. Of of uh, you know if you if you get intellectual pleasure if you get pleasure from if you if you want the texture that's there in the text it has to be in right. Hebrew. Do you remember those? Uh, they used to release these booklets and used to cross your eyes or like look at something for a long time and suddenly and you would see yeah, the three dimensional. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what the Torah is like. Absolutely, it's, it's like you just if you keep looking at it, maybe cross your eyes a little bit. Yeah, you, you get know? the right angle and suddenly like, the wow. depth emerges. Yeah, you're like wow, 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 that's wow. That's a good, actually, excellent metaphor. Yeah, that's excellent metaphor. You remember those books? Absolutely. Sure, I don't sure. think they're so popular today. I remember that it used to give me a little he- headaches a little bit. Yeah, for sure, because you got to like look at it funny. But like, but if you really see the Torah, if you really see the Torah right, you see the two-dimensional page that it's on, and then you could just—I'm just using an, an imaginary tool here to help you understand this. See the letters, not just going from from right to left, but also going in the texture. That's what I mean by the texture. Right, there's there's, there's there's contours, there's continuities and discontinuities. There's right. there's a whole network. That lies behind the very linear presentation, and that's why translation is a super limiting. Yeah, super although limiting. I mean, uh, you know, it's also an important bridge. Accessibility is a right. is a real value. I wasn't I wasn't dismissing that. I'm just saying always push push toward the original text. All right, let's talk about one more thing, and then uh, I, I got to wrap it up. Uh, you heading out today? Yeah, I got got some. Uh, I got grabbing I got the kids, the matzah. You're you're setting out. Yeah, well, actually, uh, a group of. Orthodox women who are trying to be better at social media asked me to give them a little talk. Great. And I was like, okay. And I like by right, I should have been like, no, I don't have time for this. Right. But like something told me, go speak to these folks and, and, and they may you're, be influential. You're generous with your life. time. Well, generally, no, I try not to be. Uh, yeah, I, tr- I, I try to say it's no. A hard, it's a hard tension. I try to say no. But in any Let's case. practice now. <coughs> no, 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 no. Okay. I, I, I skipped out on, on two weddings recently. Ooh. And I skipped out on a, on, a, on a friend's birthday party. I was just like, no, 
Yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. But I did play Ultimate Frisbee yesterday, so I'm still hobbling along uh, because of all the... Uh, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to hurt myself too yeah, badly. It was, it was intense. It was intense. Um, the last thing I want to focus with you on today, because I find it to be so darn dramatic, is the blood on the doorposts. Yeah. And the lintel. The lentil. Okay. The lintel. Lintel, lintel. Lintel. Not the lentil. No, no blood in the lentils. Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. Take some hyssop. And uh, and hyssop, if anybody knows, is a bushy plant. And dip it in blood. It's actually the right thing to dip in blood. And smear it, not smear it, smear it. That's what God said. He commanded them to smear. It was the original smear. <laughs> yeah, he said, smear it. I want you to smear it. Oh, and he said, smear it on the doorposts. The doorposts. And the lentil. lentil. And the lentil. In other words... Um, um, and this is going to be a sign for the 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 angel who's who's doing the um, well nominally, nominally. It, okay, okay. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll let you expound. But in any case, it's like the death energy is coming over Egypt. Yes, you got a signal to that death energy that you ain't part of it. And <clears throat> is it is it is it too obvious that it, that this also represents the womb? Okay. Specifically, the birth canal. The birth canal, <clears throat> and there's it's bloody, and it, and you're and when and when the death of Egypt is done, you're gonna come out in birth as a nation. Yes. Okay. And 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 from that we also get the idea of the mezuzah, or it's a related idea in any case. Yes. Uh, that 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 there's a signal. This is a Jewish home. Malka, my wife, she can spot a mezuzah anywhere. We'll be driving in like Hoopitz, Texas. She's like, "There's a Jew right there," and <laughs> she, she's got mezuzah eyes. You know, that's cool. Um, but but I, I want you to tell me a little bit about this this mitzvah, and and really the mixture of two bloods, the bloods of of uh, and the, the this this blood comes from what's going to be the Paschal offering, the Paschal lamb, and the blood of milah, the blood of circumcision. Of circumcision. These two bloods mixed. You will live through your blood. These are the two bloods that kind of gets mixed. The two uh, 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 covenants. Yes. And these are the two things that God says, if you don't do it as a Jew, which is the Paschal Lamb and circumcision, you're out. Yep, you're no longer part of the people. Which, which uh, for some reason this year really hit me in my kishkes that as I'm reading it, thinking, we should be doing this. We should be doing that. Like more than anything else, I feel like what our people needs is this, this coming together, to to roast this whole lamb in in not memory but in uh, embodiment of what was and and what we desire to be. But in terms of answering your question, why did I say it wasn't a sign for the angel? Because the verse actually says, "Vaya dam lachem laot alabatim." Right? They, is the is the blood is for you a sign on your houses? Which the sages point out that means that they actually put the blood on the inside. They put the blood on the inside, and I think it's very important because what's happening inside that house is that they're eating the god of Egypt. They're basically saying. No more. No more fearing anything other than God. I'm going to show it to you in the most visceral way I can imagine because, you know, in, in the world, that which eats something else is more powerful than it, right? Trees don't eat people, you know, cows don't dine on dogs, right? Meaning there's a hierarchy of power which is embedded in the sort of very natural food chain. And God says here, now you're on top of the food chain, except, watch this, you're just, you're not even born yet. Okay, now <clears throat> I'm going to issue a big challenge. Okay. 
I have to say this might be seem like an unreasonable challenge, and it may not necessarily make me popular. I think that'll make me unpopular with some people. Okay. I was led to believe that the 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 day that I'm flying into America is Super Bowl Sunday. When is that Super Bowl Sunday? Is it is it Super Bowl Sunday? That's my that's a little joke in our in our family because my father once said to me, "What is Super Bowl? What is Super Bowl?" Right. He didn't know there was a bowl. Okay, Super. Bowl Sunday. Okay, I misunderstood. Because Super Bowl is like a, a lot of things. And many a Jew gather to watch Super Bowl Sunday. Uh huh. And they eat and they do this whole thing. They oh, do the Jewish whole eating thing. Well, no, but they do. Yeah, I, I, w- I would say no. The I would say they do the, the Super Bowl party. I would say they're doing the Egyptian thing. Oh. I think they w- they're bowing down to the Egyptian god. And Ooh. I say, and I say, no wonder you thought this was making. I say, that. friends, I'm gonna I'm gonna issue a radical challenge that this Super Bowl Sunday, you gather at that very same time. You bring the food, and you do everything to desist from watching the Super Bowl, and instead put in my suggestion, Prince of Egypt, <laughs> or the Ten Commandments. Depending the on Ten your age Commandments, group. yeah, but but make sure that the you know yeah yeah there's there's some issues there, but whatever <laughs> it is, right? Or I or or I don't know what, or or uh, TNT's like Abraham, which is a, a a good one, and you reject. You, you, you reject the God of Egypt. You reject the God of Egypt. You Ooh, reject that's a serious the God challenge. of Egypt this Super Bowl Sunday. Okay. It's not hard <laughs> for you, but don't do it. Don't oh. do Super Bowl Sunday. Don't do it. Go the other way. Say, kids, today's Super Bowl Sunday. What a great time for us. There's nobody on the roads. Maybe we'll go out to nature and, and, and pray together, or I don't know what. But anything I, but this. Anything but this. Or, uh, but I think better is like gather and, and like... Talk about yeah, the use, exodus from listen, Egypt. Listen, use the momentum. I hear it. It's a it's a powerful it's a powerful invitation. I mean, listen, and, and there, your question about um, the the two bloods that really mingle in this portion of the story is is kind of too large to address right now in its fullness. You have to remember that that blood we say uh, dama nefesh, right? That blood is the essence of life. Blood is the essence of life, and and here in this story, what God has come to us to teach us is that there's more to life than living. There's more than life than living as an individual, and that's what the breed, that's what circumcision is, because that's a life committed to a relationship which is founded on the ability to be a partner in creation, right? And and there's more the life the more to life than living, sorry, yeah, as a nation, because we're not just some sociological, historical, accidental entity. That we are the people of God in the world whose task is to Stay in the forefront in order that the world know that God didn't make the world and walk away. That God is as present in the world now as God was at the exodus from Egypt. The only difference is that God wants us to grow up and act in the way that we know we need to act without the theatrics that we merited to 3,000 plus years ago. And so those are the two bloods that are really mingling in that moment. God says, I'm going to, this is your birth. Remember, he calls Israel, you're my firstborn child. This is it. There's going to be a long maturation process until you're old enough to stand on your own two feet. But once you are, says God, don't forget, I'm not walking away. I'm just being a good parent who wants you to be who you are and not just always hold on to my hand in order to get things done. <clears throat> the two bloods are also, my body is your body, God. I have a, I'm taking this body, this gift that you gave me, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm dedicating it covenantally. And the false gods, I'm... I'm 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 a I'm a false god slayer. That's right. That's part of the Jewish thing. I'm a false god slayer. Avram was the first iconoclast. Right. You, that's what you got to do. And I'm telling you right now, I'm I'm issuing the challenge seriously. 
Be a false god slayer. Yeah. Step out of that reality. Right. And and turn it the other way. Like say yeah. say I'm not that. With all due respect to America, and there's great values in America. Absolutely. But I'm not I'm not that. Yeah. I'm not gonna watch this 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 I'm not gonna I'm not gonna Gladiator be a slave to this. game. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a slave to this thing. I'm not gonna do it. And and and, and, and I'm here to spend those three, four, five hours, whatever that whole that whole shebang shebang it's 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 a techist what's the word i'm looking for the whole ceremony this whole um, uh, there's a word for that pomp and circumstance ceremony yeah. this whole this whole no uh, there's a word i'm missing it I'm yeah missing like it right like now. like when you know when somebody gets crowned yeah, yeah, it's huge this whole yeah. thing. skip it and and instead fill it fill this world with holiness and i want you to write me an email <coughs> you the land of israel.com i got a little phlegm today feeling phlegmy yeah uh you the land of israel.com or uh, Rav Mike uh, at thelandofisrael.com. Send us a picture of you and your family not celebrating this. That's Super Bowl. right. And I want a hashtag. I want an email with a hashtag. I reject Super Bowl Sunday. I push back on Super Bowl Sunday. I I have I have sanctified Super Bowl Sunday. You know the other I'm way. I'm stepping out. I'm stepping out of Super Bowl Sunday. I, I I want that. I want that hashtag. And 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 what I'm really excited about is not the people who have already come to that conclusion and have already done that. I'm excited about the person who's like, yeah, I'm a sports addict. How many Jews are like that? And not by the way, this is also goes for the non-Jews listening to the show. How many of you are going to be able to say to me, yes, this year I'm I'm breaking out of this. Give thing. it up for God. Give it up for God. Give it up for for the higher purposes. Yeah. You know, don't don't let this thing eat up your, you know, and it's so contrived with its ads and all these things and the Super Bowl. Da- it's 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 so not the pageant. The pageant, that's the word. That was the word. I think that was the word. Uh, so that's my challenge uh, for this week's show. Uh, and and be be a false god. Throwing slayer. it down. Yeah, I'm throwing it down today. I'm throwing it down. I have I have always made a fight on this thing, uh-huh. but but. But I'll tell you a story, and I'll explain to you why. Uh-huh. It was years ago that I was on a speaking tour, and I happened to be in Colorado for Super Bowl Sunday. And yes, indeed, I was invited to a Super Bowl party. Uh-huh. I thought to myself, first thing, I, like anybody else, c- can enjoy a game. Sure. It's cool. Yeah. And it's athletic, and it's amazing feats, and it's, and it, and it's certainly very, you know, tension. It's yeah, exciting. Yeah, it's dramatic. High energy, yeah. And I watched this thing. Now, I had rejected professional sports a long time ago. And I had, um, but I came to watch this game. Afterwards, I felt sick to my stomach, and I realized something from the Bible. Do you remember when Saul kills all the Amalekites? Mm-hmm. But he has rachamim; he has mercy on on the king. The king. It's like, okay, I'm against the whole Amalek, but the king. I mean, it's like, the come king. on, we're all kings here, right? This is <laughs> it's the king. So right. I have some respect. I was like, oh my god, I slay the Amalekites by by slopping off. What's the word I'm looking for? Sloughing off. Sloughing off. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, professional sports, but the king of it all it is the I crown like, jewel I, right i gave him honor because it's the super bowl and then i'm like oh never again never again i will i will uh, you know what i mean i'm gonna slay amalek not only that but you become an activist <laughs> I've, become, I've, become, I've become an activist that's right I've become an activist about it uh okay maybe and i'm sure i'm gonna get the email and you're totally welcome to to tell me why i'm wrong on this i know about that and i'm happy to hear it really you're in and we're, we're this is a it's an open forum. It's an open forum, and, and nobody should feel like there's nothing to discuss with me here. And I do know that there are positive values and all that stuff. But still, generally, <laughs> generally speaking... But you're still wrong. <laughs> no, because, because the whole of it is not the, 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 the sum that has well, a positive the, the side. Es- the essential point goes back to your original question of why the mitzvot, why the commandments are so bound up with this story in particular. We've had story, 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 story through all of, of uh, Genesis. We haven't had so many commandments. And the answer is, is that this is the real turning point. Do the stories matter? Are these just stories that you tell your kids that you enjoy when you want something to think about? Or are these things that you build your life on? So what I hear in this challenge is, is that here you go. Here's an opportunity to make it real in your life. 
Absolutely. Well said. Uh, Rabbi Mike Foyer, thank you so much for joining me uh, here today on the Yishai Fleischer Show on the Land of Israel Network at Beit Midrash Sulam Yaakov here in Nachlaot, Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh, Ir HaNetzach. Ir HaNetzach. Ir HaNetzach. Even when it goes down, it's just... Just hiding out for a little bit, waiting for, for, for the rebirth. We're living in the time of the rebirth. It's meaningful. Or maybe take that Super Bowl Sunday and make your plan for Aliyah. Or go. maybe or maybe uh, learn Ema Banim Smecha. I don't know what. Connect to the land of Israel. Go go to the Photoshop if it's open and, and blow up that picture that you took on your on that on the, your last summer trip, which you haven't done. Do something to plug you in to Ir Hanetzach to Yerushalayim and to, and to the story of the Jewish to, 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 to the great story, God's great dream. Uh, that is the challenge. I want to thank you, Rabbi Mike, very much. Uh, the show does go on. We have an, a, another part of the show today. A little bit more. The show must go on. The show must go on. The show will go on. Keep broadcasting, right? If they cut off your hands, take the wheel with the teeth. That's right. Take the wheel with the teeth. Exactly. Uh, Bezrat Hashem, we are only regaining our hands here in the land of Israel. We want to wish you great strength and Shabbat Shalom. Stay tuned for more great stuff. Once again, Rabbi Mike, Todaraba. Always a pleasure. God bless so. you, folks. Stay tuned. Stay strong. Connected and connected. We'll be right back. Follow the path of the unsafe, independent thinker, says Thomas J. Watson. Expose your ideas to the danger of controversy. Speak your mind and fear less the label of crackpot than the stigma of conformity. I'm Ralph Mike Foyer, and this is The Jewish Story. Listen to The Jewish Story with Ralph Mike Foyer on thelandofisrael.com. All right, folks, as promised, we are back here on the Ishai Fleischer Show. I'm actually sitting in the, one of my favorite restaurants uh, here in Jerusalem, which is Moses. It's called Moses, right? And it's got burgers. It's got great burgers. It's Mahadran. It's Moses. It's really a fun place. Uh, and it's at the Cinema City. And uh, I'm sitting across from Eli Piepsch, who's the Director of International Relations at the Yesha Council, the Council of Judea and Samaria. Also a great, uh, a great political activist and activist for, for the cause of Israel. He was uh, a lobbyist and activist in, in Washington, D.C., and uh, now here, originally hailed from Seattle, Washington. Is that right? I, my last stop in Israel, my last stop in the States was Seattle. Uh, I grew up in D.C. Um, I was there, I grew up in D.C., and I was, lived there for 30-odd years, and then uh, I was in Seattle for 12 and been here for about seven. So you're really a D.C. person, though. D.C. person. Right. And DC is good own, and the bad, right? But you know, like like when I went down to DC for the first time, I you know I was living in New York City, and I went down to DC for the summer to work at APAC, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god, this is a different language, it's a different source of like where if New York is about style and money and speed, DC is about power, about policy. Yeah, I, I'll say, and it's changed over the last few years because when I was growing up, there was a certain sense exactly there was power. That's what you wanted. You almost eschewed. The money, because that's the New York thing. Those guys, you guys want the money. We don't need the money. Now, the, the power and the money has come, by, come together, both in New York, certainly with President Trump. You see that more. And definitely in D.C., um, the, anytime you have power, that eventually leads to money. And you see the, you see the, the, four, the 95, the, the D.C.-New York nexus has come together very nicely, um, for good and for bad. Um, but I would say that uh, D.C. is a very transient place. 
people come in, they get their fill, and they leave. There aren't that many people who are really from D.C., uh, and that's at least the goal. Um, even as someone who roots for the sports teams of D.C., you don't find too many D.C. sports fanatics because the people who live there are really rooting for their teams back home. If you are working for a congressman from Texas, you are still rooting for the Cowboys. You're not rooting for the Redskins. That ain't happening. That's very interesting. And that also speaks of really how big America is. America is a big place. And uh, Washington, D.C. Is, is this major hub of, of American power internally and externally as well uh, towards the international world. And uh, certainly uh, one of the things that you're doing now is you're bringing the nexus of Jerusalem, uh, its power to Washington and back. And you're also really you're also working on connecting the folks in America, the, the, uh, the congressmen, the senators, the, the intellectuals, of Washington with the issues of Judea and Samaria, of, of the quote-unquote West Bank. Um, and you're helping them kind of understand those issues and, and, help, uh, and help them also get on board. Well, I think, like you said, there's a symmetry between what we see in D.C. where people come in for a little bit, get exposed, and they're supposed to go back and populate back home in whatever state they're from. Um, we're trying to do the same thing in Israel. Um, and very often it is people from D.C. come to Israel for a few days, get a sense of what Israel is, and until the last few years, that sense of what Israel is generally revolved around Jerusalem and Tel Aviv didn't often go into the heartland of Israel, Judea and Samaria. I was uh, touring in Hebron, a group of congressmen and, and a senator. It was Senator Lankford. And one of the things that he said from Oklahoma, and one of the things he said was, when APAC called me and said, why aren't you coming on my trip? Why don't you come on our trip, APAC trip? He said, because you don't take me to Judea and Samaria, and that's where I want to go. Uh, I had a similar experience with a, a Democratic congressman by the name of Gene Green uh, from Texas. And he had said something similar. He said he had been to Israel, I believe it was eight times, most of those times with APEC. But he had been to Israel eight times, had never been to Judea and Samaria. And when I took him to Tel Shiloh, um, the site of where the Jewish tabernacle sat for 369 years, um, he said, I did not know there was anything new that I had literally not seen in Israel. Uh, but coming there and spending a day in Samaria was very, very powerful for him. And, and of course, Judea and Samaria is also, ironically, this part of the land which is contentious, is also really the biblical heartland. So the Bible, folks, anybody who's interested in the Bible and history and historical Israel, that is actually the, shall we say, the meteor Israel, the, the real Israel for them. Absolutely. 70% uh, of the biblical stories um, happened in Judea and Samaria, um, Hebron, um, we have Tel Shiloh where the, where the tabernacle was, we have Beit El where Yaakov had his dream. Um, so many, every single place you walk, you walk there is biblical highways. Um, these, this is where all the stories happened and even something as simple as wine, grapes. Um, the grapes that grow there, you know, I, I took a, uh, a good friend of both you and I, Ryan Belarus, um, an indigenous persons activist, uh, on a trip in, in the region. And I want them to take him to a winery. And he says, Ellie, you know, grapes and wine are really not significant in my culture. It's not really a big deal for me. It's not going to be meaningful to me. Why bother? And when we went and we were driving around and he asked me, Ellie, what grows in the area? <laughs> and I was like, look around. If you've been into Judea and Samaria, unless it's, there is a Jewish yeshuv, you'll see it's rocks and weeds. There's almost nothing growing there. Um, but when Ryan pushed me on it, when Ryan pushed me on it, what we saw, well, what I told him was, you know, there's olives, 
and there's grapes. And the olives and grapes, what's that about? He asked, you know, in our culture, is that important? Of course, olives. Think of the story of Hanukkah. Think of how we, we be open the Shabbat with candles, which we use candles, but there should be olive oil. We Think use olive oil. The, yeah. I use olive oil yeah. as well. Yeah. Think in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple. We had a menorah with using olive oil. Olive oil is a very big deal, so the olives obviously are consequential. Sure. Grapes are the exact same thing. You can't think of a holiday that doesn't begin with wine. Um, we, we, there's a hierarchy of blessings. Uh, Isha is going to about to j- enjoy a nice hamburger, um, and there's a, hi- there's a certain blessings that you have. You have the bread, you have the meat. Um, the most significant blessing of all is the blessing on wine. Um, and so he understood that, and he just expressed, you know what, if you are indigenous, the things that grow here are celebrated in your culture. Right. And therefore, it becomes quite, to be quite obvious that the culture that celebrates the olive oil and the wine is the culture that's from here, the culture that doesn't allow anybody to drink alcohol, doesn't allow anybody to drink wine, clearly are the imposters. They're not the ones who are from here. They are the occupiers. Touche. Speaking of that, uh, and speaking of biblical highways, uh, a horrible murder took place on a biblical highway uh, last week, and uh, it was in a place called Chavat Gilad, outside of Chavat Gilad. Uh, and um, a rabbi, 35-year-old rabbi named Rabbi Raziel Shevach, was murdered. By all accounts, an incredible person, yeah. uh, really a tzaddik, uh, a, a righteous man, a, ri- a righteous rabbi. Uh, this morning's news is that forces from the IDF and, and Border, Patrol, Border Police's Yamam Special Forces Counterterrorism Unit uh, 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 last night, Wednesday evening, located in Jenin, that's a um, uh, heavily Arab populated town, uh, the terrorists who carried out that shooting attack. Uh, the first terrorist was arrested at a gas station in Janine and taken for questioning. The second terrorist was spotted nearby, was killed in a shootout that developed with him. After that, a manhunt, a manhunt began for the third terrorist who was hiding in a house. The security forces encircled the house, began demolishing it with the help of troops from the engineering unit. In the end, the terrorist was arrested. I think he was also badly injured. During the shootout, two border police officers were wounded, one of them in serious condition and the other one in light condition, and we are now praying uh, for their recovery. Uh, at the same time, dozens of uh, pro-jihadi Arabs rioted in Jenin through rocks at the security forces. Uh, as I said, Rabbi Raziel Shevach was murdered in the shooting attack last Tuesday near Chavat Gilad in Samaria. The terrorist fired at Rabbi Shevach's vehicle at close range and then fled the scene uh, Rabbi Shevach was able to record a message on WhatsApp in which he said, I'm shot, I'm shot, sent it to his friends at the Magen David Adom organization, where he himself was a volunteer pa- paramedic. They arrived at the scene, evacuated Rabbi Shevach, uh, but then he died of his wounds. Uh, Eli, you were at the uh, Shiva, the house of mourning uh, of Rabbi Shevach. You heard uh, and you saw his family, including his wife and six children. Uh, that that survived Rabbi Shevach. Tell me a little bit about that uh, uh, that encounter, and a little bit of the kind of political aspect of that, because there was some po- political change that happened. Uh, Chavat Gilad was connected to full normal electricity, and it's in the process now of being normalized after this murder. Tell me about what you saw there. You know, it's interesting because before paying a shiva call, the only other time I had been to Chavat Gilad was to run a 10k in Chavat Gilad, um, and it's actually a great way to see that particular yeshuv, because community, Chavat, Jewish community thank you. Yeah. Uh, Chavat Gilad is a community of 41 families. Each of them has a house that they've pretty much built by hand. 
um, or uh, a trailer. Um, but these are not luxurious homes, but they are luxurious lands. Each of them has about an acre or more of land, very spread out. Um, it's a community that very much is in tune with the land um, and is really, you see what it's like for Jews to come back to land and to be part of it. Um, and it fits, it fits really nicely. Um, this particular community has about 250 families in it, 41, 41 people. And you go there, the, this, is a, this is a community that is not afraid. They are a strong-willed community. Um, it seems almost like they kind of expect every once in a while that there will almost be some casualties and they're willing to take those kinds of risks. It's interesting you say that because just yesterday I had a group and, and I was explaining to, to people that people that live in Hebron are tough, are strong, are heroic. But in the liberal language, that always goes right into, so they're violent, they're, right. they're under attack. No, they push back on the attacks. They're, they're willing to risk themselves. They're heroic. They're right. frontline people. But, it, but it's funny how, how on our side, whenever our side is, is, is displayed or presented as strong and willing to, to, to use force against, to, to, against force or willing to be in a harmful area, a dangerous area, you know, uh, but, but hold the ground, you know, it's, it's immediately seen as like violent or, or provocative. Right. And I think that's aggressive. You know, the idea that we could be in 2018 now and say that the presence of Jews in a particular place by definition is provocative. I'm surprised that that's not gone, but that isn't. That's part of our reality. That's part of where we are today. And we do need to push back. And I think the, the residents of Chavat Gilad um, very much embody that. What about the, uh, the Shiva, the, the House of Mourning itself? So I think that actually is consistent uh, because what I saw there was, was a, a little dichotomy. There was um, the, the mourning widow, um, his wife Yael, who my, my sense was had just had her 30th birthday because literally sitting right over her head was a handmade birthday cards that were made by her kids and saying, you know, happy birthday, Ima, it's a big birthday. Um, so... My guess is she probably turned 30. Um, Rav Raziel, all of was 32. Um, so my guess is she was 30. They have six kids, all fairly young. Um, the youngest, I believe, is less than a year old. Um, and her feeling and her, the, the, the jive and the aura that she gave off was one of strength, was one that she's not missing a beat, was one that almost that she had come to the conclusion that something like this may happen at some point in her life, or at the very least, she probably has comforted other women in this situation before. She's imagined herself in that situation, and now that it's come to her, she's willing to step up, and she's willing to push. She's willing to um, make sure that she's not dragging people down, but she's using this as an opportunity to strengthen our connection to land, our connection to what we're doing is right, and make sure that the, the, when doubt seeps in, as she tries to go ahead and channel that out. No, we are here. We're doing the right thing. There are, there are consequences. There are challenges. Um, there certainly, this is a tragedy, obviously. It's not a reason to surrender and not a reason to fold up and leave. Um, and the dichotomy? The dichotomy was with Rav Raziel's parents, um, who certainly uh, are, uh, you know, they, they were supportive of them completely. But when you're not living in Chavat Gilad, you're not living in that day-to-day, -day, when that kind of tragedy um, hits your family, you, it's, it's traumatic. 
And for them, they were still very much in, in that trauma sense, like they did not know how to Like a total respond. loss as opposed to... Total loss. Right. Like, how did this possibly happen to us? S- almost second guessing. Should we right. have stopped this? Should we have said not to be here? Why did they have to live here? That right. type of thing. Right. That type of thing. And <clears throat> listen, that's, that's, a normal, that's a normal human response. Right. Normal response for parents. But you saw a dichotomy there. But you saw the wife, not that she was embracing, but now that this was her fate, she was going to make the best of it. Wow. And she was going to lose. And that was very um, refreshing, very rewarding. And frankly, I left so empowered uh, by, by her strength. <sighs> I can hear some of my audience just like having a hard time you know, swallowing that. Um, but I guess we still have that pioneering spirit. We still have that courage. And I guess Israel's still being built. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand is that still very much Israel is not a completed project. And that's actually one of the reasons why it's important to come out to Chavad Gilad or to Hebron. You're like, oh, it's still a frontline thing. It's not all Tel Aviv Towers. Right. God bless Tel Aviv Towers. But it's not not yet a completed project. We still have so much to do to build it and to to develop it and to to own it and to be sovereign over it. do you think that there's going to be? Did you did you notice in the political atmosphere in Israel that that the murder uh, kind of woke up something or, or changed some policy uh, about the rights in those places? Will Chavad Gilad become a normalized Jewish community? Uh, there's, that certainly is a hope, and I would say I think that right now we're at a point right now where there is a real desire to try to change things on the ground. Particularly, um, unfortunately, we're still at a point where we often are responding to other political um, circumstances. Um, this past Sunday, um, Mahmoud Abbas, in his uh, um, uh, situation or his, his, his plan to celebrate Martin Luther King Day, he went all out, biased, bigoted against Israel, demonstrated his real full anti-Semitic self um, by accusing Israel as being made up having absolutely nothing to do with Jews or Judaism uh, by, by um, accusing Israelis of trying to um, get Palestinians addicted to drugs and pushing the drug trade on them, all sorts of anti-Semitic canards, anything that was out there, he just went all out anti-Semitic crazy. And he also threw out a cuss at uh, President, President Trump. Trump. He said to him, Ikram Betak, which means like your house should be destroyed. Your house should be like... like uh the foundations of it yeah. should be destroyed. Just Your whole house. Obliterated. Obliterated. The, the house. Like that, you know, that's yeah. an Arab type of term. House of Saud. Right. You know, the house of Israel. Your ho- the house of Trump should be obliterated. And I was, I was wondering, was Mahmoud Abbas, who's, uh, what, in his uh, 12th year now of a four-year term? The 14th. <coughs> 14th year, yeah. yeah. And um, did he have a mental implosion given that, you know, President Trump has recognized Jerusalem and has uh, stopped partial funding to UNRWA and these things? Or was it a calculated move saying, listen, this president is on, is on the ropes, and I don't need to go with this. I need to show total that I stand against this and put America in a corner as though it's not you know, in line with the rest of the world. In a sense, like, who's actually leading? Is, 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 that, is the Trumpian-type policy where it's all heading, or is he like an aberration and will soon leave the field in favor of the Oprah Winfrey's or the, you know, uh, uh, or right. the, the Hillary Clinton's, or whatever it is, but the, the bottom line, the, you know, the other perspective, like, so d- did Mahmoud Abbas have a kind of jihadist flip out where he showed his real fangs, or was it actually a very calculated and smart move? Yeah, th- this was no hot mic incident. This was, this was planned out. Um, this was, it took a, a good amount of effort 
of the Palestinians to put together the events where he spoke at. He spoke at the gathering, the annual gathering, or not only, not always annual, of the PLO. This was the Palestinian Liberation Organization's uh, annual gathering where he addressed them all. He made it very clear what he wanted to say and wanted to do. And what was he trying to say? He was recognized that he can't get very far. He's used to having Americans back down to him. He's used to being able to threaten, hey, if you don't do X, Y, Z, then I'm going to threaten violence. And then Secretary Kerry, President Obama, even President Bush will often will back down whatever is being asked of him, demanding a certain level of accountability. What happened when President Trump recognized Jerusalem, word seeped out that he was going to recognize Jerusalem, Abbas and his cronies said, if you do that, all hell's going to break out, and we're going to go and create all sorts of violence all over Israel, all over the occupied territories all over the Middle East. And Trump said, bring it on. And Trump made the recognition in as powerful and as direct and as concise way of doing it. So as he, uh, he did, made it no doubt. And what ended up happening? Very limited, almost no violence. And they started recognizing that they don't have that much support anymore. And at this point, Abbas doesn't really know what to do. And what he's banking on is the idea that President Trump is somewhat radioactive in much of the world. And he's hoping that he realizes he's not going to get Trump on his side. He's hoping to try to engage the anti-Trump sentiment that is prevalent in Europe, in some part in the South America. Right. And if he could draw a clear line, I am standing up to Trump in a way that Hillary Clinton couldn't stand up to Trump and be successful, in a way that so many European elites want to try to stand up to, pre to President Trump and don't, or feel like they can't, Abbas feels he has nothing to lose, everything to gain by com com being combative to Trump, by trying to be more Trump Trumpist than even Trump, and hoping to gain a certain level of sympathy um, from the Europeans. And basically saying, I'm giving up on the financial support the Americans give us. Now I need you Europeans to go and help me out. And I think also what we're going to see in the near-term future is that we're going to see that the Palestinian movement is going to go actually into the sphere of influence of Iran. I see the Sunni states who are afraid of Iran trying to get the Palestinians to somehow sit down with the Israelis and, and, and get that kind of, you know, get some kind of peace thing going so that they could kind of square off that issue and then get Israel to help them face Iran. But the Palestinians are not going to agree under leadership like uh, uh, like Mahmoud Abbas, and maybe mm -hmm. that's a good thing. Right. Maybe that's a good thing, and they're gonna. And I think that the movements, the, the pro-Palestinian movements. I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about these movements, Hamas, Hezbollah, and I think also Fatah, PLO, are gonna move into the Iranian sphere, and I think that's good for us because, because one of the things that that the Jews really are weak in is peace. The word peace tricks us every time. Hot war, we can handle. We we understand what it is to f deal with an enemy. It's peace that gets us very confused. When that option's on the table, people start to do all kinds of crazy things. I think that option is coming off the table. Yeah. And I think that the Trump policy is actually stirring the pot and or, 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 or exposing the yeah. true face of the Mahmoud Abbas's of this world. President Trump is a disruptive force. Right. There's no doubt. And right. there are positives, there are negatives. In, in this situation, it has brought to the core that there has been absolutely no accountability for the Palestinians for, forever. Um, UNRWA. Uh, the United Nations agency that is responsible for the quote-unquote Palestinian refugees, there is no reason for that to be separate from the UN agency that's responsible for all other refugees in the world. Um, and 
President Trump's calling UNRWA out is something very, very important. That, that will be much more, that will have legs way beyond the pr Trump presidency. And I think a lot of this, um, Trump sort of forcing Abbas's hands um, and having him, de having him demonstrate his unstatesmanlike. We all know that Abbas at his core is a terrorist, but many in the world, because he wears a suit and tie, have right. treated him like a statesman. Um, it's very hard to go ahead and now treat Abbas as a statesman. Um, a serious after, after what he said. Very good. Um, and it's interesting because much of the mainstream press, when they covered Abbas' statements, they did not really cover some of the more egregious statements that he made. They tried to wash over it a little bit. And I think that's uh, it's up to us to bring it out to make sure people are aware of how inappropriate uh, Abbas is and she should not be tolerated, should not be accepted anymore. Eli Piepsch is the Director of International Relations at the Council of Judea and Samaria, the Yesha Council. He's also spearheading uh, an event at the upcoming APAC conference. We're going to provide you f with information uh, about that. I'll be there as well. And it's a very important event where really we're plugging in to the thousands of people, the 20,000 people that are coming to Washington, D.C. with a pro-Israel consciousness, but need more information, need to plug in, need to understand, want to understand. Uh, and we will provide them with a platform. You will be, Ellie's going to be providing them with a platform of uh, oui, getting, oui. yeah, that's right, absolutely. But the Yesha Council, you're, you're spearheading, and I'm happy to be part of it. And I got to emcee the event last year, and I hopefully will as well this year. It's very, very exciting and important, and it's love. It's really about connecting fellow Jews and pro-Israel people to what's really happening. Judea and Samaria, you're doing a great job. I want to thank you so much. Yishai Tudaraba, always a pleasure to talk to you and your listeners. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. We're at Moses, which is the, uh, one of the preeminent burger joints here at Cinema City, Jerusalem, one of my favorites, and it's Mehadrin. So that's a lot of fun. And uh, I want to thank you so much for being with me here. And remember my challenge to you that my friend Ellie, we didn't talk about this, my challenge to you about the Super Bowl, right? Hashtag, this year no Super Bowl for me. I'm doing a Torah day. I'm doing an Israel day. Instead, uh, remember also that we have uh, great supporters. Many of you are great supporters of this show and also of the Land of Israel Network. I want to thank you so much. Uh, for all of your help and your support, makes a difference. Please go to yishayfleischer.com and support. Please go to thelandofisrael.com uh, and support. Really not support, as we've talked about many times. Be a part of, you are a broadcaster for Israel, and we are your agents. Get out there and broadcast for Israel. I also want to thank all of our sponsors, our friends at Django.net. Django.net provides you with information about what's going on in Israel. It makes your aliyah possible. It's really the information superhighway for, for, for living in Israel in the English language. Uh, I also want to, so that's janglo.net. I want to thank our friends at J Brick who create Jewish Legos. J Brick, and I still have not managed to have enough time to really work with Yitz about creating a Maratha Machpelah, but we're going to do many things with, with Legos because Legos are really hot. A lot of kids are into it. Grown ups as well. J Brick makes that Jewish, right? If you loved Lego, let's make it Jewish. That's a lot of fun. Uh, of course, uh, we are all uh, believers in being a true blue Jew. True blue Jew is the Techelet. Uh, that is the blue string, which is made from a special snail here in the land of Israel. And, uh, and that is the way we did it in ancient times. We're doing it again today. Uh, buy it for a spouse, for a loved one, for a friend, for a child, for, for I don't know what. Uh, and that is a T-E-K-H-E-L-E-T. -E -E Become a true blue Jew. T-E-K-H-E-L-E-T. T -E -K -H -E -L -E -T. Uh, and, of course, Hebron. Come visit the mothers and the fathers. It's easy to do it. Hebronfund.org. Hebronfund.org will bring you there. 
So join us in Hebron. Come on an amazing tour by Rabbi Simcha Hachbaun in English. We'll take you to the tomb of Rachel and then to the tombs of the fathers and mothers in Hebron. Amazing stuff. Thank you so much, Hebron, for uh, giving me this uh, incredible platform to work and, 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 to, and to promote uh, the greatest people that ever walked this earth. That's the fathers and the mothers of the, of the Jewish people, God's most beloved. Thank you, folks, for being listeners. If you listen to the end of the show today, I know it's a long one. We had an hour worth of Torah and 30 minutes with Eli Piebsch. Uh, amazing write me hashtag I listen to the end or something that sounds like that I went all the way to the end uh, let me know what you think about uh, what you're going to do on Super Bowl Sunday I want to hear from you about that um, and what else oh finally thelandofisrael.com has many great other shows check them out Eve Harrow's pull, putting out great shows Gil Hoffman uh, Rabbi Shlomo Katz uh, Ari and Jeremy and of course Josh Haston just wonderful programming on our network I'm very very proud of it so you know you know, I don't know, uh, three three cheers for the Land of Israel Network, which is really bringing you the Land of Israel. Folks, you are broadcasters to the world. Thank you so much for joining me. Rebroadcast the message of truth, of God, of strength, of Jerusalem, the light of the world. And, of course, I'm having a great burger, great Mahadran burger, here at Moses in Jerusalem, close to the temple, with good friends in this great land. It is a light to the world. God bless you. Stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected wherever you are. And shalom. Thank you.